Again, what a privilege and honor to be with you once again this morning, this Lord's Day, this first day of the week. Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. And God is so good, just talking to the deacons and pastors this morning, God is so good that he has built into creation a day just to remind us of how good he is. We can go Monday through Saturday and forget about God, but we know Sunday's coming. And he is able to remind us just how good he is. So I praise God and thank him for allowing us to come to another Sunday to worship with one another this day. Well, last week we began our sermon series going through our vision statement. If we can get ready to put that up. And last week we talked about how we were a peculiar people. And how God has called us to be different. He has called us out to be different, not weird, not strange, not like, like funny acting, but he has called us to be different because through our peculiarity, he would get glory. He would show himself to the world. But this week, as we continue through this, through our vision statement, a vision of who we are and who we want to be, we continue with living ordinary lives together. As you see on the screen, Let's say that together, our business statement. One, two, three. Living with seeking. That is who we want to be. That's who God has called us to be. So as we are looking at the text of Scripture this morning, when we say living ordinary lives together, we mean we believe that it is normal, and necessary for Christians to do everyday life together. From having a cup of coffee to going shopping together, God has called us to be in each each and one another's lives. He has called us to do life together, and he has called us to do life together, guess what? Not just on Sundays, but throughout the week where we are encouraging, strengthening, and helping one another. That's what he has called us to do. So turn with me in your Bibles as we consider the second part of our vision statement to Acts, the second chapter. We're going to look at, we're going to begin with verse 41. Acts, the second chapter, beginning with 41. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Let us stand together. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number Day by day, those who were being saved. 
May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Again, the tag on this text this morning before us is living ordinary lives together. See, here in the book of Acts, it provides for us, per se, a, a birth certificate of sorts. Just as we can look back at our birth certificates and see characteristics of the date, time, and hour, we can look back at the book of Acts and see a historical record of the birth of the church. This book of Acts has key information in matters related to the church. The Acts of the Apostles shows us how the church was birthed and also its expansion. And here we have a witness of what it was like to be part of the early church. The book of Acts provides a, a great example of ministry, an example we can aspire to. And as we look at the book of Acts, as we look back, we look back not just for historical facts, but we look back in order that we may move forward. We look back at the early church in order to see just how the church was birthed and what model of ministry that we should be going forward with today. And of all the events that we witness in the book of Acts, the most important is the realization of Jesus' words in Acts 1 and 8. What does Jesus say in Acts 1 and 8? He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we see in Acts, the second chapter, this comes to fruition when the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles and they begin to preach and teach the word in every tongue that was there. And people begin to hear the gospel in their own dialect. We see in the second chapter just what happens when the Spirit of God dwells with his people. When the Spirit of God indwells his people, the extraordinary becomes the ordinary. And not in a diminished sense, but when looking at the text, when the, the extraordinary becomes the ordinary, that wherever the Holy Spirit is, his supernatural, extraordinary presence makes those that he falls upon to act in normal ways that are spectacular. So this spectacular way of living becomes the norm for those who follow Christ. Wherever the spirit is, supernatural living follows. Think about it. This is incredible. This is amazing. This is extraordinary. Because all of a sudden, the spirit shows up and 3,000 people are saved. In a city hostile towards Jesus, this is on the heels of his crucifixion. They, they have a disdain. They can't stand the people of the way. But yet the Spirit shows up and 3,000 sinners are saved. And the church is birthed. See, and even more amazing is you take 3,000 people. We, we can't agree on anything, but you take 3,000 people and the power of the Spirit is able to make them do life together in a spectacular and amazing way. May God's spirit fall here. See, it's spectacular if we really realize how sinful we are. It's spectacular because when we think back into the book of Genesis, 
And God has created Adam and Eve, and they're living in creation. They're living in perfect harmony, a perfect uh, com- community. Sin enters into that situation in Genesis 3. And as sin enters in, it disrupts community. See, sin brings guilt, shame, brokenness, separation. And as Adam and Eve sins against a, a God, they fall out of community with God. They fall out of community with one another. They fall out of community with creation. They are in a, a wreck. Their lives have went away. Sin causes us to lead these individualistic, autonomous, and selfish lives. Because remember, sin separates. Don't forget that. If you remember anything, sin separates. If you're in a situation and you have a broken relationship, there's sin somewhere. If there's frustration, there's sin somewhere. So because sin separates, what we tend to do is go and do our own thing. Well, you know what? Forget them. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm not going to worry about them. I got my own money. I got a job. I don't need them. I'm, a, I'm just going to do my own life. Sin separates. Think about your own life. Think about how private we are. Oh, that's about, oh that ain't none of your business. That's my business. Y'all get out of my business. Sin separates. When God has called us to community, we run in shame and we put fig leaves over our sin in order that God won't see us. And that we won't really see what's going on in the lives of one another. Our sinful individualism disrupts the the community of creation, but, but, but God has poured forth his Holy Spirit and he has come to reverse this curse of creation. The supernatural work of the Holy Spirit within the early church is what creates this extraordinary community. It's because of the Spirit's presence that Christians are a unified community. Because of the Holy Spirit, the ordinary Christian life consists of extraordinary unity and community. That which is incredible becomes the norm for followers of Christ. This is in part of what's so spectacular, and this is in part what makes us a peculiar people. Because when we, when we, have, when we will naturally have uh, a tendency to go and hide ourselves, the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going off by yourself. Well, I'm going to make you press in everyone else in order that we may do life together and that Christ may be glorified. When we truly live set-apart lives in set-apart ways, the onlooking world beholds a glimpse of glory and are drawn to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us this power to live extraordinary, ordinary, lives. See here, Luke is writing and he is describing the effect of their conversion of faith. Because they have come to believe in Christ Jesus and the Spirit has fallen upon them, something happens. Something takes place. There's a change, a a switch, a transition that I was living life like this, but because of Jesus, I live life like this now. There's a change that's going on. And he's painting for us this ideal community. 
Their commitment to Jesus is what begins to transform the lives of these followers as they worship God. Look here. In verse 42 and verse 43, the first thing that we will see is that the early church lived in extraordinarily ordinary unity. The early church lived in extraordinarily ordinary unity. 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. What is going on here? As the Spirit has come, this new people begin to devote themselves to worship. The, the teaching, look at the text, it makes it, it makes it look like nouns. The teaching, the fellowship, the bread, the prayers. What Luke is describing is plain. He's describing a life of worship. This is what this is. This community is living a life together of worship with one another. Watch here. They're, they're unified in their doctrine. The teaching, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me back up. As they are devoted, that means they are, they are pursuing. They are committed. They are looking towards and for. They, they, they are, are pushing everything else away and running straight towards Jesus. And the way that they are doing that is, is through the teaching. And they're unified in doctrine. Just as they have been instructed by Jesus, the apostles began to instruct this new people. And they, they began to remind them of the events of Jesus' life. They began to remind him of why did Jesus have to go to the cross. They, were, they began to remind them that Jesus rose from the grave. And they began to, to remind them that, and he now, he has ascended to heaven. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. They are teaching the, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And notice, in their unified doctrine, who is at the center? Jesus. Jesus is at the center of their teaching. This is, is, is the, the single unifying factor, Jesus Christ. They're not talking about money. Money is not the center. Oh, yeah, you can just bring your money here. Just drop a dollar. We get a blessing. It's not money. It's not prestige. It's not fame. It's not materialism. It's not anything that the world has to offer. But the center that unifies the church is Christ. They're unified in doctrine, but also they're unified in friendship. Because it says the fellowship. The fellowship. The, the, the word here talks about an active participation. If I'm going to call you my friend, that means that we have to have a conversation sometime, right? If I'm going to call you my friend, that means we have to have some dialogue, some, some interaction. We have to do a handshake, a hug, or something. If I'm going to say I have fellowship, that means I actually like you, and I'm going to spend time with you. They're unified in their friendship. They're not worried about what you bring to the table. You know, there are certain circles that you can run in. Before you can be my friend, I need to see what you have to offer. Do you have any type of connections? Do you have any kind of money? Uh, oh, I need, a, I, I need a ride today. Who can I call? Who can be my friend? 
Why, I need a date tonight. You know, Valentine's Day coming up. Who can I call to be my friend? See, there's many times where our friendship is dependent upon what we want or what we need. But the text is talking about a Holy Spirit, extraordinary fellowship. And this is based upon interaction, active participation. It's not what you have in your pocket that brings us together. It's what you have in your heart that brings us together, Christ Jesus. Genuine fellowship involves the name of Jesus. Genuine fellowship is going to bring up Jesus at some point in the conversation. Like genuine friendship, Jesus is going to come up somewhere at some We may be talking about the game. We may be talking about the trade. We may be talking about our day and a job. But genuine fellowship amongst believers, the name of Jesus is going to come up some way. Like I, I had a rough night last night, but you know, God is faithful. You know, on my job, they're getting on my nerves, but, but, but the Lord says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Now, I've been going crazy in these relationships, but God says to cast my cares upon him because he's faithful. Whenever there's genuine fellowship, the name of Jesus is going to come up. They're unified in their doctrine, they're unified in their fellowship, and they're unified in their, in their memory. Why do I say memory? Because it talks about the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread here, most likely, they're talking about the Lord's Supper in this particular part because they're, they're, they're talking about worship. But when you look at the text, when we take the Lord's table together, what are we doing? We're pausing for a moment to collectively remember what Jesus has already done. They're unified in their memories. They're coming to the table, and we pause for a moment to reflect where Jesus has brought us from. We look back to say, before Jesus saved me, before Jesus rescued me, and, and the reason why they're unified, because the Bible tells me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all got something in common when it comes to a life before Christ. You know, you know your BC life? Uh, your before Christ life, that life that you were living in the street, I mean, you was going hard for, but God rescued you out of darkness and brought you into his light. See, God has done something. So when they come to the table and they see the bread, which is broken for you, and the blood that was shed for you, they're, they're reminded that we've all sinners, saved by grace. So they have a, a, a past tense memory. They have a present that though I've been saved from my sin and though Jesus may not be right here right now, but he's given me the Holy Spirit in order to walk this walk and talk the talk. He's here right now. Uh, uh, he's praying for me on my behalf. See, because I don't serve a dead Savior. I serve a risen Savior who is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding on my behalf. Right now. But they're not, they're not only thinking about the past tense or the present. They're thinking about their future. They're thinking about the day when we get to see Jesus face to face. We get to behold his glory. Unveiled glory. Spectacular glory. Extraordinary glory. Marvelous glory. Supernatural glory. We think about the day where we all who follow Christ, will be able to sit down at the table 
we get to unpack our bags. We get to unwind a little bit, and we get to pick up the fork. We get to pick up the cup and say, thank you, Jesus, for the table. We get to celebrate the victory he has secured for us through his blood. They have a unified doctrine. They have a unified friendship. They have a unified memory. See, but then lastly, they have a unified dependence. Because they know, they know, apart from prayer, they have no power. Apart from spending time in prayer, followers of Christ have no power whatsoever. Why? Because prayer is not just, I'm going, to, I'm going to Jesus with my goodie bag list. It's not that I'm just going because I need something. I, I'm going to Christ. I, I'm going to the Father to commune with him, to know him. And I'm going for my daily bread. My daily bread. That's why we, that's why we need to be praying every day. Because yesterday's manna won't help you today. But you, you need new bread. Because we need new mercies and, and new grace. That's why we go to the Father every day in prayer. And we say, Lord, help me today. Hi, Lord, you took it away yesterday. Can you take it away today? I, 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 in order for me to go forward, I need you. And then we go on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, so-and-so is dealing with this, Lord. And so-and-so is dealing with this. And we begin to intercede uh, on one another's behalf. So they're unified in their prayers because they know that through prayer, they are being dependent upon God. They're unified, this community. They're praying for their direction. They're praying for unity. As I said, it's so hard to get two people on the same page. Only by the Spirit of God can 3,000 be unified. So what are we learning? Christians are united by the shared pursuit of worshiping Jesus. Like a moth to a light or a moth to a flame, Christians should be in worship. Whenever we lift up the name of Jesus, whenever we open, whenever we open this book, begin to study the word of God, whenever we, 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 we spend time in prayer, whenever we gather in one another's home for fellowship or we come to the, to the table, uh, Christians should flock together. That's what unites us. This unity is built upon the word of God. And if our unity is built on the word of God, then our unity is not temporary. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So, beloved, if the word of God stands forever and our unification is built upon the word of God, then how long do we get to hook up together? How long do we get to get it in in the face of Jesus? If the, if the word stands forever and our unity is built upon the word, then, then we will be unified no matter the season, no matter the circumstance. No matter what's going on, we will stay unified. It will not be temporary. But what, what is being pushed forward by the Spirit is a reminder that 
It is when we're divided in our beliefs. That is when we have disunity. When we're divided in our, in our beliefs. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? How can we do life together and we don't even agree on who Jesus is? 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. What is that saying? That I can't talk to people who are not saved? Nope, not at all. But when it comes to being unified, to being close, to having that person who's, who's, who's near to your heart, if that person don't love Jesus, then you will be divided. Divided beliefs brings disunity. Think about it for a moment. I mean, this notion, is, this is not foreign to the, to the world. This past free agent season, we saw one of the biggest deals was that Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City and he went to play for the Golden State Warriors. This was huge because the very team that had beat him in the semifinals, he joined that team. But in interview, over, in interview after interview, when asked, well, why did you go to the Warriors? It wasn't necessarily about the money. It wasn't about the fame or prestige. It was because they, believed, they had the same belief. They had the same philosophy in how they wanted to play ball. It didn't matter who, would, who the star was. They just want to win. It doesn't matter who stood out or who racked up the stats that night. They had a common belief that if we are unified and, and playing for the championship, not playing for our stats, then we will have a phenomenal team. So he signed with them. Beloved, how much more does Christ tell us that if we are unified in our belief and our understanding of who he is, we won't be divided. We won't have arguments over silly stuff because we'll keep the main thing the main thing. When Jesus is the main thing, we can be unified around. Everything else is ancillary. Everything else is extra. But when Jesus is the center of our desires, our hopes, and our direction, that makes all the difference in our unification. What do we believe then? We believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God. We believe that God has revealed himself in three persons, one in essence, three in persons, through the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. We believe that man is totally sinful and unable to save himself. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith. Those are the, the central beliefs that we hold dear here at Forest Baptist Church. And if we center our lives around those things, we ain't got time for nothing else. We ain't time for drama. We ain't got time for pictures and posters and colors. We want to see Jesus magnified, glorified. Living ordinary lives together. For as we can be extraordinarily ordinary in our unity, we should be known as a people who knows God's word. 
If the word of God is what unifies us, then guess what? We need to be the people of the book. We need to know God's word. But, 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 but apart from Sunday mornings, how often do you study your Bible? Apart from community groups, how often do we sit around and talk about the things of God? See, if, if we're going to be unified and doctrine, then guess what? We got to know the book. We have to know what God has said. What thus saith the Lord? But not only should we be a people who knows God's word, but most of all, we should be a people who obeys God's word. Because the Holy Spirit lives here, we should have a, a heart that though we fall and though we fail, our desire is to, is to pursue Christ above all things. We, we don't obey God because we're scared of him. We obey him because we love him. Commitment to unity can only be kept when Jesus is at the center of our beliefs. There's this extraordinarily ordinary unity, but then also in the text we see an extraordinarily ordinary community. Verse 44. And all who believed were together had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. This is an amazing example of doing life together. Early Christians would meet regularly. This wasn't just a once a week thing, this community. It was regular. It wasn't just for Bible study. It was Hey, what you doing today? Well, I need to go pick up such and such. Let's just go together. Hey, I, why don't you come over to the house today? I, I, I fixed some greens today, and I had some extra. Why don't you come get some greens? Why don't you come and, and, and be a part of what's going on at my house? This was regular. And the way we could tell it was regular because it was both formal and informal. It was formal. They went to the temple. They went to church. They stood up, they read from the scrolls, they sang songs, they did their prayers. It was formal, it was structured. But then it says they went from the temple and they went to the houses. They had, they had a formal worship where, they, where everything was kind of structured, everybody was participating at the same time, but then they had informal. They was in each other's homes. They was just drinking coffee. They was just eating Doritos and Funyuns. They were just loving on one another, hanging out, doing lunch. Can I make you a sandwich? You want some coffee? Look at look here what I'm doing with the yard. Oh yeah, my children. And they just doing life together. There's this formal and informal. There, and I love what Luke is doing here. Beloved, there's nothing more ordinary than eating. We eat all day. We eat, we snack, we do brunch. We do lunch, mid-afternoon, snack to keep us woke at work, grab, grab some peanuts right quick. We come home, do dinner. Sometimes we wake up in the middle of the night for a late-night snack so we know how to eat. That's what the text is telling us. That as, as mundane and ordinary as stuff in your face is, that's how we should be in one another's lives. It's just regular. 
There, there, there's nothing special, like super about it. But, but to the onlooking world, it's extraordinary, right? Because the Holy Spirit lives here, the extraordinary becomes the ordinary. We just do life. The early Christians not only were with each other regularly, but they actually cared about one another. There was a concern for the needs of others over their own. This sense of, no matter what's going on, I got you. I got you. You worried, you worried about that? I got you. You need a ride? I got you. You need 10 on it? I got you. You need some gas? I got you. You need to go here? I got you. Beloved, this is one of the blessings of Forest Baptist Church. I, don't, I, I have personally received so many I got you. From the people here, just wanting to fill a need. That needs to be contagious, this, this shared existence. But watch, this is not a, this is not community ownership. So you ain't got to be scared. I don't own your house too. You, you still own your house. You still own your car. But what was taking place is that they would sell their own possessions and give the proceeds to those who had need. So though it's not Community ownership is communal care. I'm going to take what I have. I'm going to take what I raise. I know I get paid Friday. Let me look out for you Saturday. I know I got something coming in. I'm going to help you out. So they had this shared existence, and they had shared sacrifice. I'm going to give up something. I'm going to give up something that I care about in order to serve somebody like, where is that in America? Like, I'm actually going to go without to make sure somebody who ain't my children got something else? This shared sacrifice. This, this works itself out in the way that a person can say, I need, and then somebody else that says, I can't. That shared sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to sacrifice my pride and tell you where I really need help. I'm going to stop showing up Sunday after Sunday, acting like everything's okay, that I really got a smile on my face. I'm going to sacrifice my pride, and I'm going to say, I need, and I'm not going to fear anybody talking about it. Well, they should have spent their money right. I ain't with they shouldn't be doing that. Look at all them kids. They, no, I'm going to say, I need, and somebody going to say, I can. I can. That's a shared sacrifice. This mutual care, this is community. This is not what can the church do for me, but this is what can I do for the church. Man, what we have is a, going on here is an amazing demonstration that this body of, body of believers have embraced Jesus. That's what this is. Christians are united by the shared pursuit of communal care. God has called his people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He has called his people to do life together. See this, see, this is where you actually should use Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the fellowship of, of believers. This is where you actually should use it. Like, we don't use it to beat people over the head. We use it to say, look, recognize that like, God has called us to do life together. So when you ain't showing up, it's not about what you ain't receiving. It's what about you're not giving to the body of Christ. 
because God has uniquely and specifically gifted everybody who he calls his own, and they have a responsibility to pour that back into the body. Well, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Yeah, you can be a Christian, just not an obedient Christian. We live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately culture. If you haven't performed lately, I'm going to get rid of you. If, if you haven't dropped a hot track lately, I'm done. If you haven't provided for me in this relationship, then it's over. And it, it can be easy to think that way of the church. If, if we haven't entertained you, then I, I'm going to stop coming. Or if we haven't made a decision that, we, that you wanted us to make, I'm going to stop giving. See, it's a, this understanding that the world has, like, when you provide for me, then I provide for you. But Christ says, and while you were yet sinners... When you couldn't do nothing for Jesus, when you ain't had nothing in your pocket but land, God says, I'm still going to take care of you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we could bring anything to the table, Jesus had already paid the price. That's why what we have is extraordinary. A called out set of believers who are willing to go to toe against Satan for one another. We are to be generous and not selfish, dependent and not independent. We are to value people over possessions. We are to be participators and not spectators. We are to be extraordinarily ordinary in our community because the Spirit of God is here. We should be the people that always seeks to help. Consider, when was the last time that you Help someone with no strings attached. Now, I ain't talking about you helped them, and then you remind them next week that you helped them. And then two weeks later, you're like, remember that time? Yeah, I, I was looking out for you. You remember that? <laughs> like, like, man, I'm mad I borrowed $5 from you. It's like 10 years later. I'll pay you 10 just to stop. I mean, we want to help no strings attached. We should be a people who seeks out community and not loners. Now, I, I, I'm have to get in our business because this is specifically why we have community groups. Our community groups provides that place throughout the city for discipleship, for care, and for outreach. Our community groups are, are, are little plants in the city that are sprouting and blossoming in order that the people there and the community around them can take some of that fruit and be fed. See, our community groups provide a way to be plugged in and to be regularly a part of the body of Christ. Now, understandably, there are schedules. There's things going on. But if we really get down to it about why we don't participate, the first thing that comes, the first word that comes to our mouth is I. Well, I don't want to. I don't like that. Well, I feel. No, what God wants to do is by rubbing us together in fellowship and discipleship, he's sharpening us and helping us to look more like Jesus. If you're not a part of a community group, I encourage you, talk to us after service and we will get you plugged in. We have six places in the city where we're meeting. Six places. 
that you can be plugged in, six places that you can say, I need, or you can say, I can. We have six places where you can do life. We have six places where you can eat every week. We have six places where people can pray for you. And we pray that we will have many more. See, community goes squarely against the saying that my business is my business. When we're in biblical community, guess what? Your business is my business. If we are unified in our pursuit of Jesus, then we must be unified in our pursuit of holiness. And if someone is struggling, I'm not going to talk about your struggle. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out a hand to help you. But that comes through transparency, where we're not gossiping, where we actually love and care. We, we're not doing those prayers, you know. Well, you know, pray for brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so because, no, we're just going to pray. That is communal care. Amazing community comes from an amazing embrace of Jesus. Finally, the early church lived with extraordinarily ordinary joy. 46, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's going on? This community, they were full of joy. They were excited about what God was doing in their lives and amongst one another. See, joy is having great delight and a settled confidence in what God has done and his goodness. See, joy remains where happiness fades. Joy is, is, is constantly reminded, though I may be going through, God still got me. Joy is saying, though the situation may look like this on the outside, I can be excited because of who I have on the inside. Joy can take a stand against everything that's going on in the world. This community of believers had joy. As they went about their day, they had joy. These, <laughs> these early Christians seemed to act like they had something to be happy about. What did it look like? Where it says they were praising God, they had, their joy was directed to God for his faithfulness, for his goodness, for his favor, for his blessing. Their joy was directed towards others in every aspect of life, going from house to house, sitting, dining, praising God. But then also their joy was directed towards their witness. Because it says, praising God and what? Having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. You mean that me just reflecting the joy of Jesus on my job can actually bring somebody to Christ? You mean that like actually being happy that I'm saved can have an effect on my neighbor? You mean actually being excited about Christ and what he's done can have an effect on those around me? Yes, because their good reputation apparently impacted their witness. So what do we see? Christians are united by their shared rejoicing in Jesus. Beloved, knowing God makes all the difference. Knowing where Jesus has brought you leads to a a joy-filled life. Think about where God has brought you. 
Think about your used to be. Think about what he took away. Think about what he delivered you from. That should bring you joy. Knowing what Jesus has done for you should lead to a joy-filled life. Do you realize that Christ died for his enemies? The very ones that were spitting upon him, the very ones that were stoning him, the very ones that were whipping him, the very ones that were kicking him, the very ones that put the crown of thorns on his head, the the very ones who who pierced his his wrists and his feet, the very ones who lifted him up, up on the cross, the very ones who hated him, spat upon him, were the very ones that Christ died for. That should bring you joy. Knowing that God has made us a new family. Last week, we walked through 1 Peter. We are a chosen race. Kingdom of priests. Like God has, 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 has taken us and made us something new. But knowing who Jesus has given you leads to a joy-filled life. Because when the Spirit lives within you, God does give you power to live the life he wants you to live. He gives you power. He seals you with his spirit. He sets you aside. So what do we do with this? Beloved, when sorrow comes your way, rejoice in Jesus. When doubt comes to your house, rejoice in Jesus. When anxiety begins to build up in your heart, rejoice in Jesus. That's how we defeat the attacks of Satan. We, we don't look at the attacks. We look at the one who's already defeated the attacker. I'm not looking at the attack. I'm looking at Christ. We are to be extraordinarily ordinary in our joy because the Spirit is here. We should have lives marked by joy. I think about stories about gold being stored at Fort Knox right down the street. And how at one time in the nation's history, all, all of our gold reserves were, were secured at Fort Knox. They were secured behind doors, secured behind walls, secured behind bars. And then even on top of that, you put a whole army on top of the security to make sure that nobody steals the gold. Well, beloved, if, if we can go that far to secure some gold, we need to recognize how far Christ went to secure our joy. See, because bars are penetrable. Walls can be broke down. Armies can be defeated. But the cross of Christ will never be conquered. Jesus' blood that was shed for us has secured something greater than all the gold that could be stored at Fort Knox. Because when it comes to the end of time, when that gold rusts and fades away, we will be in glory beholding Christ. Jesus has secured our joy. Joy-filled lives is the response to our shared reality in Christ. You know, on the outside, this looks crazy, though. According to the world, this type of unity don't happen. It shouldn't happen. It's abnormal. Y'all crazy. Y'all are cool. And you know, if left to ourselves, we would reject that. 
We might be rejecting this sense of community even right now, but we're not left to ourselves. Because in speaking to his disciples, Jesus said in John 16, 13, that he would give us the helper, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 8, he says, and you shall receive power. So we have truth and we have power. But up just a few verses in Acts, the second chapter, beginning with verse 37, we see when the people were broken in their hearts and repentant and wanted to know how to be saved, the text says this. This is how Peter responds. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And what does Peter say? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and watch, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The extraordinarily ordinary togetherness that we could have is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't make up gifts, we receive gifts. We are not left to ourselves. Once you repent, of your sins and trust in Jesus by faith, you will receive the Holy Spirit sent from the Father and the Son to dwell within you, teaching you truth, giving you power, and reversing the curse of sin within your life. That extraordinary unity and community becomes ordinary for you. Don't you want to be part of this community? Trust Christ today. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge before God that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I have been living a life for myself. I've been living a life for my own glory and not your glory. Father, please forgive me for caring more about myself than others. Father, forgive me for not being a faithful steward over what you have given me. Father, please forgive me for my sin, and I trust that Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he did, and he lives right now. You turn from yourself through repentance and faith in Christ. This is how you become a part of this community. This community that has been infused with supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. So what do we see in this text? The ordinary Christian life consists of extraordinary unity and community. Because Christians, we are a unified community. And our, our actions reflect whether or not we believe Jesus. Because followers of Jesus are to live in extraordinarily ordinary unity, extraordinarily ordinary community, and followers of Jesus will live with extraordinarily ordinary joy. When we are living ordinary Christian lives together, amazing things will happen. The Holy Spirit has given us the power to live extraordinary lives. And not just on Sundays. To be anything less denies the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, let us be a tree growing upward toward God and outward toward one another and toward the lost. For his glory, for his name's sake, let us pray. Father, thank you.